Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset, hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. The Incomparable. Number 665. May 2023. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell, and this episode is all about season three, the final season, of Star Trek Picard, or is it season 39 of Star Trek The Next Generation? I don't know. Something like that. We're going to talk about it. We're going to, we have, we have a real nice uh, reunion of, I, I want to say, like, there was a podcast we did 30 years ago, and we're bringing those people back. That's not true, but it's still a great group to talk about Star Trek Picard and the Next Generation crew rides again. Uh, Joe Rosenstiel's here. Hi, Joe. Hello. Looking forward to discussing spaceships with you later, because that's a thing we do. Moises Chuyan's here. Hi. I was in fifth grade when the finale of TNG aired. Oh, excuse me, my back. It's just yeah. <laughs> uh, Sister Holmes is here. Hello. I was on the Enterprise D when it made the Borg cube run in less than twelve parsecs. Excellent, excellent. Uh, it's a length of length of distance and not, not in time, as we learned. And David J. Lore is here. Hello. Do Do you even hear yourself, <laughs> David? No. Okay. That's I my Shaw. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> um, okay, so I mean, let's let's start with let's start let's start by saying season two of Star Trek Picard not the best exists. It, <laughs> if it has to, it, it, it it's present. They made it. They haven't deleted the tapes. Didn't did, started out well, then went south. Um, Eh, I don't even think it started out well. I, I enjoyed I enjoyed the setup <laughs> and then then nothing thereafter. Yeah. Um. But and and when they announced they were doing Star Trek Picard, they're like, no no no, it's not a reunion. Patrick Stewart insisted that it's going to be new stories about this, and and then season three is like, no, it's actually literally everybody from the next generation is coming back. That's what it's going to be about. We're going to give them a send off. This is going to be like the, I guess, ten hour movie that they never made. Uh, for a proper send off for them, and um, and so I want to talk about both sides of the coin, but I want to start out with I, what I think is going to be the obvious answer for everybody. But I I want to I want to check in with everybody about this. I have I have quibbles with some of the execution of this season, but I have to be honest and say that emotionally. I think it did its job. Like we, we, uh, not everything is about the emotional resolution, but like, did you see your old friends? 
Did you get to see how they're doing? Did you check in with them? Did did they end up on the bridge of the Enterprise D, which I did not expect? Like from an from a nostalgia and emotional fulfillment perspective, which I think was maybe the most important perspective here. I, I do think that they did a really good job and I ended up feeling happy at the end, even though I do have a long list of things, but I felt happy. How did how did you all end up feeling kind of as an emotional resolution for this season? Joe, let's start with you. Uh, I'm in the same boat as you. Uh, I have possibly more quibbles, but I I, uh, I feel positive about it. I'm glad that this exists. If we had ended after season two, that would have been dreadful. Oh, um, and I'm so happy that Patrick Stewart was wrong, that it was great to have all of the cast come <laughs> back together. That's really what we needed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that uh, despite it having almost nothing to do really with like the concept of Picard as a series. Um, and it's just much more of a TNG thing, literally Mm -hmm. than I, 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 it is, it is what you want out of that. Um, which is what the fans I think wanted what I wanted. Um, so yeah, I, I, I never been happier that he was wrong. (laughs) So Moises, how, how did emotionally, how did, you know, how did you end up? How did you feel? Emotionally, emotionally, it worked for me without being the kind of fan service that bugs me. Um, the way that they handled fan service in this season, not just reuniting the cast and getting the band back together, but uh, vintage characters that got dusted off and brought back um, references to <laughs> things that happened in the movies were mm. were just just the right light touch on various things. I do have various quibbles. Some of them have to do with ship design. I think Joe and I are on a mm-hmm. on a on a similar captain's yacht <laughs> about certain things. Um, but but for me, the good outweighs all of the bad, and that includes any of my reservations about the first couple of seasons, um, where I would rather we we continue to live in the timeline in which the first two seasons were imperfect, very imperfect at times, um, and they and they got they got all the kinks out before they got to the one that really mattered. So I'm able to forgive a lot that maybe even in the airing of those two seasons, um, I, I wasn't able to, uh, they, they tied all the right bows. Um, they did all the things that I really wanted to, and even stuff that as, as we were going through season three, as we'll get into on a granular basis, that maybe kind of bugged me ended up, um, playing out into a very, very nice overall picture. Uh, where where it didn't, it didn't feel like I felt about some other shows that felt like video game side quests, or um, you know, even though they were backing into a conclusion, I, I couldn't see it telegraphed as much as I have in a lot of other shows, including previous seasons of this show. Um, th- in ways that bugged me. Cicero, where did this leave you emotionally? Well, I guess the 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 first thing is when I when I found out about season three, um, and what they were planning to do with season three, I had three things that I needed. I needed right once I knew that the crew was coming back, I needed uh, them sitting at the at at a ready room ch- uh, table, conference table, talking about the plan. Um, I I I was hoping that I would get to see them on the bridge together um you know double plus points if it's the the bridge of an enterprise triple plus points if it's the bridge of the enterprise D uh and 
the third thing I wanted to see was them playing poker when it was all said and done. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I got to see all three of those things. Um, but before I got to see all of those things, they took me on a ride. And sometimes the ride was good. And then sometimes the ride was 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 Picard. Right. Um, so um, I but I, I think like you, uh, Jason, when, you know, as I get further away from this, my feelings about this holistically will be better than they are probably hmm. now um, as I as I kind of sit with it and think about it critically. Well, those feelings will will be the thing I suppose that remains, and then some of yes. the details will get washed out. David, how do you yes. feel about how this all uh, put together emotionally? Well, I mean, uh, emotionally, I'd give it an A plus. My God, I mean, I was not expecting it to be as effective as it was, and this is the thing. I mean, we'll talk about the rest of the series, obviously. But in that very final scene in the, in the poker game, because of course it ended with a poker game, um, Patrick Stewart showed me something I've never seen in seven years of Star Trek The Next Generation and in four movies and in 29 episodes of Picard. He's genuinely laughing and smiling. He is a Jean-Luc Picard totally, completely relaxed and totally at home with his found family and to, to give us just one little moment of something new in the very last scene, we'll probably ever see him as Jean-Luc Picard. That's amazing. That was delightful. So yeah, emotionally a plus. David, David, that, that specific thing to me, I think that's what sold him on making the show in the first place. I think was, so too. Was seeing it as as an opportunity to to put a, a moment of joy on the last story that was this group of people, and I think I think we will even potentially see him cameo and stuff. Um, yeah, I can I can imagine. Like nothing yeah. nothing super substantive. I think this the, like that moment was his gold watch, and the and the moment in particular at the bar is yeah. when he quotes Julius Caesar. Yeah, And so oh. the context for this, so, I mean, it sounds like beautiful Shakespeare as delivered by Patrick Stewart, and that's great, but there's a tide in the affairs of men, which taken at the flood leads on to fortune. This is, this is, this is Brutus talking about being at the height of their, of their power, um, after the, the, the assassination of Caesar, uh, spoilers for ancient Rome. Spoilers uh, <laughs> for the eyes of March. <laughs> what? Oh boy. Uh, it's okay. he comes, he comes <laughs> back in the search for Caesar. It's yeah, the, 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 the absolute literal and metaphorical poetry of, of that kind of grace note before they sit down and play poker in something that apparently they recorded all of and, apparently also very well maybe on the blu-ray release is just 45 oh. minutes of them playing poker and improvising <laughs> which I'd i watch the hell out of that yes yes i will watch that sure. yes i will totally watch <laughs> the the 11th uh <laughs> bonus episode of picard season three <laughs> yes the poker episode whatever whatever else went on behind the scenes with the showrunners and uh whatever whatever quibbles they had back and forth with story and i mean you know these are not stories that fit together perfectly over three seasons. Uh, mm. But I, I am glad to see that 
I think they all agreed that Nemesis just sucked. Well, yeah, I mean, not only that, but it left what a way to end. I think was the, it yeah. left them. It, yeah. it sort of left data on, on, on top of that, which they've resolved it twice in three seasons, which is also <laughs> kind of funny um, and beautifully both times. Yeah, I, I do. If I'm, I wonder what Michael Chabon thinks about uh, <laughs> about season three, sort of undoing various bits. Uh, Ter- Terry Metalis uh, sort of was like, "Oh, forget about that. Uh, it doesn't matter." But <laughs> you, you know what? You know what? This show is just you know this show just had to beat the Borg to death after death three times (laughs) three times just three times that's all and and i gotta say you know there are things that if i were michael shaban i would be very upset that they did you know pretty much ignoring all all the characters except for raffi Mm -hmm. and um kind of doing nepenthe dirty yeah because i don't i don't think they had to be that dismissive of it um but I, I think I think the data plot works. I think it all fits together because it's a different yeah. data. Oh yeah. You got once you, know, you can back fun. up your brain, you can die many different yeah. times or not <laughs> die as you choose. And I, I thought that was actually beautifully handled where data data says, No, that data that data did it and uh and I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> it's like okay, that's 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 just fine. Um so before we uh dive in a little deeper into the reunion um, I wanted to talk about what is new in season three of Star Trek Picard because it's not all um it's not all just nostalgic characters. There's some new characters, there's some new things going on. Um yes, Rafi is the only character who extends through uh, Rafi's not my favorite, but she's okay, but like she's she's around. They didn't get rid of her like they get got rid of every other character who was in the season one Picard cast. Uh, Jerry Ryan, who was only a guest star in season one, also gets to tag along. And I always keep thinking, uh, having to remind myself, right, Jerry Ryan from a totally different show. But yet here she is hanging with the Next Generation crew. She's great. But to- And acquitting well. But here are- Yes. Oh, I mean, yes. Well, mm. yes. Yes. Um, but uh, Ed Spilliers, who is playing Jack Crusher. And, um, and we have Liam Shaw by the great- Todd Stashwick. Um, let's start with Captain Shaw because um, he, when we first meet him, he's a real jerk. And by the end, everybody is super sad that he's gone. He's still a real jerk, though. <laughs> the thing that's amazing is he's a real jerk from the first moment. And he's right the yeah, whole he's, time. He's, he's right, a truth teller. Entire, yeah. Right. He, he's yeah. seen Star Trek, right? I, I feel like this is <laughs> this is the truth about Captain Shaw. It's like he's seen Star Trek and he is not impressed with the pr- level of professionalism going on in Star Trek. And he doesn't want to end up uh, killed, uh, which he is. He does. Right. But like that's he gets what the show is and he, he's not impressed he, with it. I love it. He he is. He is not down with crashing starships into planets, traveling <laughs> through time and changing no. existence. I just love that. They cast an excellent improviser as someone who will not yes and. Yeah, no, that's no, just the that's no. just beautiful. He's no period. <laughs> that's it. That's for that's for Shaw. Yeah, just such a good, uh, such a such a good character, and and with more depth than you usually get from the Starfleet captain who's in opposition with our friends, right? Which is a character that has been in Star Trek a lot. And and midway through the season, when when he gives that speech, when when we finally figure out, oh, this is why. He's the way he is. This is why he's a little gun shy. This is why he's pissed with them. And it's basically Quint talking about the USS or the U. Yeah. The, the, uh, uh, Indianapolis, Indianapolis. in Jaws. Mm-hmm. And 
as soon as he gave that speech and I just went, oh, he's going to die. Yeah. Oh, no. Sure. No, no, no. I don't sure. want him to die. By that point, I didn't want him to die. And I'm like, no, yeah. it's. Yeah. But Cicero, you were going to yeah, say? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I got I got a chance to actually talk to Stashwick about uh, the choices that he made with with Captain Shaw. And um, the way he put it, which which was beautiful, was, hey, the 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 writers wrote a song and I got to sing it and they showed me the arrangement and they they gave me the lyrics. And then, you know, I got to I got to choose when I put the runs in. And and that was uh, so a lot of the choices that we got to see. Um, you know, the words were the words were on the page, but a lot of the choices that we got to see were we're all we're all Stashwick. Mm-hmm. We're all uh, Todd Stashwick doing. I mean, even from the point where uh, so Liam Shaw is a vegetarian because Todd Stashwick is a vegetarian, and in the first scene that we get, we get with Shaw, he's sitting down at dinner and he's cutting a steak. Well, that steak is vegetarian. It's a it's a vegan sure. leafy steak that you get to see at the at the very beginning as he's sitting and he's in, enjoying it and uh, you know listening to classical music as opposed to that that jazz that jazz that rabble jazz. yeah that jazz rabble that these uh, you not know, the, not the, impressed the with Picard's cabinet. wine yeah. running running yeah. gag by the way nobody is impressed with Picard's wine and Picard yes. says that's because <laughs> none of you have any any taste which I love <laughs> and has a has a ring of truth to it. Um, yeah, Stashwick's just just great. I mean, just a great performance. And yeah. and I, I hear you. I mean, there are the words and there's the performance. And you you, I think Shaw's a good character, but the performance he just jumps right out of the screen. Todd Stashwick yeah. does. He's he's just that good. Having been in Twelve Monkeys, that that Terry ran, right. uh, Terry knew what he could do. He knew what he was capable of, and said, you know, I can trust you with this. Yeah, uh, he actually said something about that too. So uh, that was great. Uh, nice. uh, maybe one day I'll actually get him on a podcast where we can have that recorded and other people can hear. Mm, imagine that. Uh, yeah, that's crazy. Imagine that. Um, Joe, any thoughts about Shaw? I mean, said it all. He's. I really liked him from the get go, and I know that a lot of people were like, "Oh, I had to warm up to him." And I was like, "No, <laughs> no, he was great. <laughs> right, right from the start. <laughs> from the start. Um, yeah. Just." The dismissiveness, the power move of starting dinner so that he could leave early, like giving them the bunk beds, like uh. it was just great. I loved it. And, you know, to the point, he's not wrong. Um, there mm. is one spot where they slip up with Shaw that yeah. I was kind of disappointed in. And that is when uh, he's on the bridge with Seven and uh, Amanda Plummer has taken over everything and he's berating Seven. Um, and it's just like, what? You... You, you like slipped backwards yeah, here um, for drama. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it didn't work for me. Um, and it's uh, disappointing because they basically go from that to his untimely demise um, in the following episode where he has to then say her name, uh, you know, uh, seven instead of Hanson. Um, and we also have the recording of him at the very end where he talks about how she does do things by the book, but you know, she's going to be great, et cetera. Uh, she should be a captain and maybe we should rewrite the book. Yeah. And so you, you wonder like the arc of that stuff with his character in here, but, uh, I, I don't know if that was executed super well, but I, I really liked him and I was sad to see him go. And I'm sure there's, it's Star Trek. There's 1 million ways to bring back a dead character but uh sometimes you can bring him back twice um but i 
uh, just really appreciated him start to finish. Yeah, that that was that was a moment that didn't make sense to me that he he pre-recorded this before anything that we saw happen. And that didn't seem to be his attitude when we met him. So it was like, when well, I can I, I mean, my argument it, but, there is that oh. is that when Picard, the moment that Picard and company come on board his ship, he's got he's like immediately defensive about that. And then he's on se- his back foot. Uh, yeah. yeah. And then at that point, seven basically conspires against him and he gets real mad. So, uh, you know, I, yeah, I, right. Right? I, right. I, I think that it's not unreasonable that he's got a begrudging acceptance of her and admiration of her. But at the same time. You know, she works. She works for him, right? Like, and, and it's like, oh, she's doing what I said she would do, but she's doing it against me. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That, yeah. Right. that is, yeah, fair yeah that fair is the one thing that didn't jive with me was the fact that you know that that final video where he's like, yeah, you know, she doesn't she doesn't color inside the lines, but that that's you know that's one of her strengths, um, which is accurate is an you know is an accurate description of her, but he's he uses it and he as a compliment, but he he basically accuses Picard and Riker of being the exact same way, but he uses it as a pejorative yeah. for them. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's weird how that dichotomy, you know, works. But I, I love the character, yeah. um, I, you know, oh, yeah. love, 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 love the character from from moment one. So Espaliers who is like 30, but is playing 22, which is, I, I, I just have to, I just have to assume that they liked the actor so much that they put him in it, even though what, that, that even the way it's written, you kind of want him to be yeah. a 22 a, a, a year old, a really young guy. And I, I don't think it plays quite as well with a, with a guy who's clearly mature, clearly, like clearly like 30 with a, with a young child. Right. Yeah. Right. yeah. Life, and, and I've seen him life in, on I, the frontier with, with Beverly that ages. Him it now. ages. Yeah. He, he, well, yeah. he got hit yeah. by a ray, an uh, aging beam. Um, but yeah. he's, he's anyway, um, I think, boy, talk about a very difficult, uh, task, right? Which is you're going to be Jean-Luc Picard's secret son. And, uh, you know, there's lots of thematic stuff that all revolves around you. Plus you're going to end up being, uh, if not, not the big bad, the, the tripwire for the big bad, uh, in this season of, of storytelling. You're Um, the catalyst. I, I, I think Ed Spilliers did a pretty good job. Um, he's asked to do like Jack is, he's like a, a pirate rogue guy um but he also he's like a mutant a very powerful mutant with <laughs> with with <laughs> puppet powers i actually thought that scene one of my favorite scenes of the whole uh series is when he puppeteers Jordy's daughter to fight the changelings I thought that was just very clever and cool, but it, it was sort of like, well, you have to hold this theme thematic part up and you've got to hold this plot part up. And, you know, I, I think Ed Spillers did pretty well with it. I, I don't consider Jack Crusher to be like super memorable. Everybody's asking for mm. the next Jack Crusher thing, but I also think he wasn't, you know. He was no Wesley, am I right? Anyway, uh, sorry, that was. Uh, <laughs> Shut uh, up, Jack. You know, I, I think he did. Yeah, I, I, I think he did okay. But the the part, like, I think this part could have been like a laughing stock almost, where he's like, "Oh, you're my daddy, Picard, and all that." And like, who is this guy? And I think Ed Spillers has enough gravitas to to carry it off. But at the same time, I also never felt like, man, give me the uh, give me the Jack Crusher TV show. I, yeah, he he has to show up and be Han Solo immediately yeah, yeah and you have to buy him as 
you know, the the rough around the edges rascal who's flying around in space with his mom. Yeah. <laughs> as they do. As, as your rogues do, your roguish space pirates, you travel with your mom. That's right. Mom, why'd you lock me in this room? <laughs> because your your half brother well, is a godlike being who never calls, he never writes. Well, Beverly's up on the bridge, and you know what that means. Jack basically lives in his mom's basement. basement. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. Don't yep. worry, Jack. Mama's got this. She pulls out a knife. <laughs> it's been like, 20 years. A lot I, of things happen. It, it, <laughs> if we can use this to bridge to talking about B- Beverly Crusher, uh, sure. I mm. love, I love, I, I love what, what they have done. With Beverly Crusher, who, you know, if you think back to early TNG, you know what Dr. Crusher was great at? Killing patients. Um, <laughs> um, sleeping with candles. Sleeping with candles. That, that, that was later. That was late TNG. That was later. I know. That I was know. Later. She progressed to candles, yeah. but yeah. Searching for life forms. Uh, getting replaced by Diana Muldor or some things like that. And, well, and then, and then ju- like jumping clear to the end of the season, uh, her manually targeting all these weapons and Jordy and Data kind of looking, turning <laughs> around and going... Damn, girl. I mean, <laughs> oh, that was great. Uh, yeah, so good. Great. So good. Gates, they get, to get Gates McFadden back, right? Like, obviously, they had that moment where they said, we realize that Crusher has had nothing to do in the movies, basically. Um, there's, like, literally, what is it? They, she's got the the one scene in in sick bay really in first contact in insurrection she's got the scene where she and deanna talk about their boobs mm. um it's not a great it's not a great collection of scenes nah. for 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 gates mcfadden to work with so i i, I think her pitch might have been the best of all of them from terry metallis right which is oh don't worry you're like a a pirate queen and sh- you well, fire all she, the phasers at the end she is she is doing the active not passive version of first do no harm she is being a doctor uh, to the worlds and the peoples that the Federation forgot. And and I think that, like, the, as much as there may have been, like, that knee-jerk sort of a, well, but the Federation is perfect and utopian. Well, it's not. Um, that's beyond unrealistic, he said about the show, where people are matter-transported from point to point <laughs> and giant laser beams shoot out of arrays. Um, uh, phasers, sorry. Um, obviously I'm not a real fan or something, uh, but they're I, just phase lasers. Moises. Phase lasers. That's, ah, uh, see, that's those, the those science. Those are lasers. It, it's because of the inverted polarity. It's something. science. <laughs> uh, I, I love, I love that, that one of those kinds of, yeah. So what happens to these like displaced colonies after a flagship flies in, saves a bunch of people and then flies off? I'm sure that everything is perfect, right? Mm. Seeing those kinds of deficiencies that you know to go back to earlier seasons are are the reason that various holes have gotten poked in federation leadership and the kind of infiltration happened not just with romulans uh but with changelings and borg carmax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you because at carmax we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car you should love your car That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. So Amanda Plummer is the the little bad before the big bad in this season. Mm -hmm. She gets to chew up the scenery as a... as and on a on a cigar basically as uh, as our con who who is she's decided to be uh, she's Vodic she's decided to to look like that even though she's a changeling we're told it turns out that these are like meat changelings that are invented by the Federation 
it's uh, I, at the same time, I want to admire uh, Star Trek Picard for actually acknowledging Deep Space Nine and all the things that happen on Deep Space Nine at the same time around about episode eight. They're like, yeah, but it doesn't matter. So <laughs> they move right on from the changelings and they're like, oh, they were just pawn- they're, they're these side changelings and they were just pawns of the Borg and it doesn't really matter anyway. But still, Amanda Plummer. Gave it a roll. A very weird performance, I think, intentionally. They're like, yep, make it weird. Make it super weird. And, of course, her her dad chewed the scenery as Commander Chang in Star Trek VI and Christopher Plummer, if you didn't notice the last name similarity. Uh, And she, yeah, I mean, again, every Star Trek ends up replaying Wrath of Khan um, to varying degrees of success, none to the degree of the original clearly that's what she's doing here i kind of admire terry metallis for sort of having her be the red herring and not the actual big bad uh so that you think she's con but she's actually like you know working for working for the bad the bad guys um but you know she's i think she's fun and in time she's effective but she's boy she's there a lot it it doesn't doesn't feel like that they they just had too many conf- confrontations with the Shrike, like two episodes too many. Yes. yes. Oh, yes. Well, I definitely felt like they did for, I mean, what she wound up being, right? Like if mm-hmm. she was, even if she was the, you know, she was the, the heavy for the big bad, right? Like she was the muscle for the big bad. It would have made sense. But she really wasn't even that. She was just a flunky. That had a ship that that I'm sure Joe will talk about sucked because um, I will also talk <laughs> about how, right, I will also talk about how it it reminded me of uh, uh, Mass Effect um, mm-hmm. and and yeah, the Reapers. Yeah. So you know, I mean, that's that's about it. But I, I like I loved how long her mustache was and and the fact that she got to twirl it twirl it um, a lot, lot of twirl yeah but uh but yeah i just i just wish that there was more of a payoff for for what she was um and because there wasn't a payoff then yeah then her and the shrike and and the jem hadar like what were, were oh I mean, yeah, they, yeah. Were just, the, the creatures scott and yeah, i talked like, yeah. about this on the vulcan hello um uh, all season which is baffling that she's got a crew of changelings, but they all are just sort of like guys wearing hoodies or, or whatever. <laughs> like, so you can't really see who they are. And like, well, why are they like that? If they're changelings and why you could have just had people or you could, I, I you, didn't even think, I didn't think they were changelings. I except just thought they, they were, were alien flunkies. Except it turns yeah. out that they were right. Well, I thought you could make them like the Breen if yeah. you wanted to put them in yeah. little, little masks or you could have them just look like Starfleet people, or you could have it be another misdirect where they're Klingons or you could have done something. And instead they're sort of like budget cut aliens who they tell us are changelings but they don't really do anything except die easy and i just that was one of the right like the set there there are very few places in the season honestly where i felt like they were cheap i think it looks great i think to do i mean the truth is they never go anywhere right there are just a few standing sets for most of the season and that you save a lot of money that way but like the one place where i really felt like Mm, why did you cut this corner is with her lackeys because not only are they ineffective but they don't make any sense like who are they why are why do they look like that why are they changelings and they look like that it doesn't make any sense other than jason i don't know jason 
we missed we missed an important meeting. Vatic gets her flunkies together and she's like, okay, guys, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to change identities every time we raid a place. Oh, mm. uh, boss, that's going to take a lot of effort. I just, I'm like, I'm, well, then we have to keep track of it and we have to be like, oh, we were Breen uh, this time and then we were Klingons. So we'll less. just be generic what, hood, hoodie guys. Why, why don't we, yeah, why don't we just like yeah. wear some hoodies and masks? You know what? <laughs> I didn't think of that. That's a good suggestion. Let's go ahead and do that. Let's do that, guys. I mean, they're basically Power Ranger putties because right. they're yeah. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. they're stunt performers um, cause, yeah. uh, for the most part because they don't have dialogue. They don't talk on screen. There's <laughs> stuff just <laughs> that's dubbed in after, obviously, but uh, <laughs> they don't. That's how they save the money. And it it is frustrating. It is confusing, too, because you're watching it trying to piece together how right. this matters in some way. Right. And it, it doesn't. It just it was cheap. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's a real disappointing thing. And just the whole thing with like knife fighting inside the corridors with them. Yeah. It's just like this is absurd. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, th- th- these these changelings don't believe in energy weapons. No, it's, it's, <laughs> it's really like, yeah, it's 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 the threat of boarding or being boarded is needs to be on the table and it needs to amp up the stakes at various points. But like, I almost want to say that I don't think the show's heart is in it because what the show's heart is really in is again, to get back to wrath of Khan, right? It is this scary ship that's trying to kill them and they hide in a cloud, but it turns out there's like a creature having babies inside the cloud and all that. I actually thought that those were really effective. It's sort of, it's just that, that later on in the season, they seem to want to replay the, Oh, here's the strike again. And we're really worried about them. And I think they play it a little too much, but like when it's, when the ships are, are playing that game of cat and mouse i'd actually say as a wrath of con pastiche goes not bad right like it was very good not too bad it just overstays its welcome and they kind of don't have another another card to play with those characters Uh, i'll I'll say that like they they had they had enough red herring on the menu that i uh, in retrospect while watching it this is one of the things that annoyed me while watching it but i forgave after the fact was the the anonymous putty dudes in in hoods and masks mm-hmm. because the other pastiche stuff that they were doing it would have it would have distracted from stuff that they needed us to pay attention to. Um, so I, like th- that that thing allowed things like the the way that they did the the Matara Nebula, but not the Matara mm-hmm. Nebula kind of thing. Like that's, that's more, that's more where... like a maternal nebula. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, no. Happy I Mother's right. Day, everyone. Um, well, and that's, that's one of the things I, I loved about this is that I think, I think plot wise, there's a lot of wheel spinning midway through, yeah. you know, it's like, Oh, it's yeah. the Shrike again. And it's yeah. the taking the ship again. And, you know, they could have they could have kept it tight. The first four episodes are nice and tight. They are. And you have you have this Mutar Nebula thing, but then it turns out, oh, it's a creature having babies. But that's thematic to the whole series. Yeah. Everything in this season is about family and yes. connection. And so so having that being a, a creature giving birth was sort of like, oh wow. And I, I think their heart was in the thematic stuff yes. and the emotional stuff. And, you know, if, if it had been me, I would have gotten to the Borg part a little, a little sooner. sooner. Yeah. Just mm-hmm. so well, that you, you, you have had, a little more satisfying. Phase one is Vada. Like, who is this thug and why, why is she trying to kill us? Phase two yeah. is 
the Federation, but we actually can't trust them and they're bad because they're changelings. Okay, that's good. Phase three yeah. is the Borg. And instead what exactly. the show does is say, no, 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 phase three is more Vatic and then phase three and a half is the Borg. And it's like, <laughs> right. well, yeah, I think structurally... And and maybe there were some budget reasons why it had to be that way, but yeah, it it, sure. it it just felt like it it waited too long. That Borg reveal in episode not in episode eight, <laughs> nine, nine beginning nine, of nine, nine. nine. It's like nine. that should have been in nine. eight somewhere. Right, like right. It, that should have. Uh, right. We all knew it was coming. <laughs> By that point, we're all like, he gave the speech about the Borg. We've got seven of nine. Uh, this right. is going to be the Borg. Let's just right? roll you into know. it and make it. And make man, it happen. Right, yeah. Right. It's literally, there's the ninth episode. Jack goes, becomes a Borg for a few minutes, and then he's not. And then he's not. Right. Which which you could have you could have maybe stretched out and had it be a yeah, little more. Yeah, you draw that out. So, yeah. I mean, but, the, eh, the, eh. the things the things we can pick on um, about this. But 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 again, I you know, I think Vatic is really good at the beginning and just gets used one, pulled out of the box one too many times. Yeah. But she's got a great end. I mean, like, I do appreciate her her final <laughs> end and her final yes. line yes. about the solids. And she and, and, and there's a, it's a, it, literally it's a Groundhog Day moment, right? Where she's right. like, well, mm-hmm. she's frozen, but maybe she'll survive. And then she smashes into a million pieces. <laughs> right. And you're like, yeah, maybe not now. Right. Um, and it's, it's quite satisfying. So good. So good. Yeah. Uh, that part was that part was great. So, um. Seven of nine. Before again, I'm just going to hold off on the next generation characters for a little bit longer. Seven of nine. Jerry Ryan. Um, revelation. I think in her few episodes in season one, and they're like, "Oh, this is really working. We need to just have her in the show." And so they had her in the show after that. Thematically, as David just alluded to, she's an ex Borg. She's a perfect character to bring into a show about Picard and about the Borg right. because. You know, she's the she's the perfect fit. She is a thematic riff on that same thing that they've been riffing on for 30 years with Jean-Luc Picard. Uh, and but and her whole thing is that she's had her family ripped away from her. Right. And she's and, and she's, then she was ripped away from the board. And then she and then she has struggled to find a place. She had her place on Voyager. Yeah. But now when we meet her in Star Trek Picard, she's sort of like, again, a space pirate hasn't run into Jack Crusher, I guess, uh, but a space pirate. <laughs> and um, here she's in the Federation again, right? She's back officially as a Federation officer. She's gotten this position. She's, she's Shaw's first officer on the Titan. And I just wanted to say like, Jerry Ryan, I know this is a next generation reunion show. That's what it is. Jerry Ryan, not from next generation. And she kills it. She kills it. She kills it so much that I kept forgetting that she wasn't part of the next generation cast because <laughs> she's holding her own with all of them. She is, there's this question. Okay. And I'll throw this out here because most of us are, are not in the, you know, most appealing age demographic. Right. Uh, right? Okay. We all were alive when next generation was on. So what I want to say yes. is, Yes, I, I, I was in elementary yes, school. but you were still alive. Yeah. So what I want to say, Jerry Ryan's a good example of this is, and Amanda Plummer too, older actors, especially women, but really lots of older actors, kind of don't get a lot of work. They, they right. never get to do cool and, stuff like and, this. And I know yeah. that part of it too is that it's especially like older genre actors, but like if you ever were wondering, like Jerry Ryan, I don't know what stuff she's been in, but she puts in such a spectacularly good performance in Star Trek Picard season three, really the whole show, but especially right. season three. And I'll throw in Jonathan Frakes, who basically retired from acting. And he's, he's great in this too. Oh my God. Yes. So, uh, 
so like I couldn't be more impressed. That's what I want to say. I didn't love Star Trek Voyager. I actually the addition of Seven of Nine as eye candy for for men watching Star Trek always made me roll mm. my eyes. And as Brianna mm-hmm. Wu has pointed out several times, they did do it because of that. But in the end, they built this amazing relationship between the two women between yeah. between Janeway and Seven. Yeah. Over the course of the show, she she evolved into uh, into something more, but similar to the TNG cast, not getting their curtain call their swan song the right way exactly that was left hanging and and i i i feel like i feel like considering voyager the bookend to the tng era which included all three of those shows if there was a character from outside tng that that made sense to bring in at all let alone to stretch across all three seasons of it um now in retrospect where i think early on people were like oh they're just tacking seven on not at all. No, like they they have really set her up for her own arc that you know we'll get to talking about the future later. But it wouldn't have made sense to bring in basically anybody from Deep Space Nine other than Rene Abergenois, who sadly uh, they couldn't. Yeah. Um. But I I just I'm I am I am so astonished at that. And and going to what you were saying about Frakes, Frakes, uh, like as as we said uh, in Slack, I think uh, Frakes is finally the the grizzled. Uh, you know, a veteran who, you know, calls the shots and, and captains the ship that he was growing into during the whole show and all exactly. four movies. Exactly. It was and like, wait, wait for it. You'll see Captain Riker eventually, except you won't because the show will end because if we made him the captain, the show would be over, right? And so this yeah, is like, like there uh, he is. There's the, what he turned into. And it's like, pretty good. Pretty good. They they both do a great. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to take the spotlight away from Jerry Ryan. I think I think she dazzled. But I think Frank's also, I was surprised by both of those actors, just how great they were. Like, literally me saying why are they not working all the time and the answer is because they're older and everybody's supposed to be everybody expect except ed spaliers is supposed (laughs) to be in their 20s (laughs) in everything that they do Uh, and because they're older they don't get the parts even though when you see it here they just knocked it out of the park they really did frank's frank said it on on ready room uh on, on one of the episodes he was on this season uh that that n- n- not just the, the the women in the cast, but but everybody of that age, none of them get to do this stuff. Not exactly. just because of what we saw in season two with a very old man being chased through a <laughs> walking slowly <laughs> through a basement. Walking, yes, walking very yeah. slowly in a basement. Um, I, yeah, I you know I, I didn't want to take anything away from Jerry Ryan either, but the parallels are interesting to me because in TNG itself, Frakes got to do some of the learning that would get him to becoming the, you know, middle-aged guy calling the shots. And we skipped his, his entire active duty career as an officer. But, but the way that they, I I think it was very fair that they gave him so much attention in this season as compared to the other TNG cast members. Um, But, but they gave everybody a very appropriate amount of stuff to do that, that wasn't just Deanna Troy being the, emotional barometer of the opposing force um, and wasn't just Jordy LaForge, you know, spitting out techno babble or data being the data that he was for 30 years. Um, that to me, like, that's how I would sum up what what took me to the the point that I, I got to by the end of that season uh, is is the way that they fleshed everything out so beautifully. And I had none of the kinds of reservations I did in the first two seasons. Yeah. 
I absolutely loved Jerry Ryan in this season um, or in, in the series uh, in general. Uh, but I do feel like we missed an opportunity to do the thing that we all thought that they were going to be doing with her, which was exploring the similarities between, uh, you know, the ex-Borg Mm -hmm. uh, John Luke Picard and the ex Borg Seven of Nine, and uh, we got we got a like maybe a scene of that in season one where they talked about like do you have the mm. you know how do you dream do yes. you dream you know that kind of thing do, do and you it, still are you still there yeah right right yeah. like we got we got that and then that was it and even here in this final episode where we find out and you know in the final episode and a half when we find out it's the Borg again, the only thing we get from Seven is a headache, right? Her acknowledging <laughs> that she's got a headache the because the damn Borg, the Borg right? Yeah. The, mm -hmm. the damn Borger around again, right? And that was, you know, and then she, I guess she took some Tylenol and she was done, right? Like, but that was it. And I really feel like, uh, you know, as we talk about the, the, the the misses in in this season and in this series that was that's one of them again is is the fact that they made the show kind of about Picard Data and the Borg mm -hmm. um, and they brought in this person <laughs> that was also uh, Borg adjacent and they really didn't play with that yeah, I agree all. I think the best Borg thing she does in the whole series is is when she becomes a temporary board queen in order to open a what like a yeah. stargate basically right. in, right. in season one portal or whatever. and even in season yeah. two yeah. agnes is the one who gets the board queen stuff which is great I, it's my favorite thing in season two literally yes. is the stuff with agnes and the board queen but um but you're right i think thematically it's a like i like that she's there and i like that there are a few moments and there's that moment where shaw says you know you two are both ex-borg and it's like oh boy right there, there are little, there's little shorthand, but like you didn't need shorthand. You did, you had 10 hours with them on the right. same ship. There probably yeah. should have been more. Yeah, but they, they had to have more running around shooting people. And right. Knife fights. Right. <laughs> knife fights in I mean, dark hallways. 25th with Little spotlights. Oh, my God. oh man. High level. Yeah. Uh, uh, what, what do I call that? The Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. special? <laughs> <laughs> there were 30 episodes of Picard. As, uh, Patrick Stewart was in 30 of them and Jerry Ryan was in 25 and in yeah. those in those 25 so she was on seven, over 75% of the episode so uh, in that time they should have been able to do more with her and Jean-Luc and the, and the Borg or just her and the Borg in general Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Worf. 
appears <laughs> oh, with Rafi. He has a little sidelight where Rafi is like, oh, I mean, I, it means it means we get results, you stupid chief and all that, which I kind of roll my eyes at. We're like, oh, I got to solve the crime. And there's this one planet where everybody is bad, but also my <laughs> ex-husband lives there. And also there's a recruiting center there. Oh. And like, there's again, an, I think maybe a sign of either a combination of we built this one underworld set so we have to use it again and again and again <laughs> and also just uh trying to keep the plot simplified but it, it kind of was was a bit much but when Worf appears again i just the delight of having him kind of appear and he cuts off somebody's head and you know any any Raffaella, right exactly just michael dorn <laughs> giving being hilarious and serious and violent and a pacifist all at the same time. <laughs> Just, again, the, the easy way to tell this story would be to say, everybody's been working together for 30 years and they all love each other and isn't it great? And they're like, well, that's not interesting. So we're going to scatter yeah. them and then we're going to bring them back. And Worf, it's still a little unclear. He 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 broke the Enterprise E, but it wasn't his fault. Um, somehow. Somehow. We don't can't, even know. Can't wait to find out how. <laughs> what is that about? But um, but just, again, one of those delightful choices to have him, uh, you know, and and the, his banter with, with Riker especially. And that, oh. like, Worf was always a very funny character uh, when he was done properly, a serious and yet also funny character. And, like, it's just it's just delightful to see him again. I think Worf, uh, Worf was handled well. How does everybody else feel about uh, seeing well, Worf again? I Joe. think that sometimes they uh, there's this whole thing of like he should say everything with a straight face and deliver it, you know, as if it's not a, as if he's deadly serious about everything he's saying. Um, and so he's not cracking jokes. But at the same time, a, a few times in here, they slip him stuff that's obviously jokes like beheadings are on Wednesdays and stuff mm -hmm, like that. Yeah. And it's just like, well, yeah. you guys, you know, it, but they don't. <laughs> They don't nail it every time they give him a, a line of dialogue to deliver. But I, I feel like they really do a good job overall with him. It feels like Worf. It looks like Worf. Very important um, because <laughs> Star Trek Discovery um, <laughs> made some people nervous. But yeah, I, uh, I love that that was one of the first things that Terry Metalis like, quote unquote, spoiled about the show. He was like, Worf is going to look like Worf on Twitter <laughs> when people were like, is he going to look like those weird Discovery mm -hmm. Klingons? Yeah, mm. and then people were upset about his hair and stuff. It's just grow up. But right. his uh, hair the, looks great. Yeah. Yeah, oh God, yes, he, he looks wonderful. Um, and I love that he's also playing an older act. Uh, he's playing an older wharf too. Um, like he he is hurting from the battle injuries and wounds and things, and when he gets stabbed, etc., and uh, has to pretend to be dead. Like he is uh, just a more mature character than he was before too with all of his um sort of efforts to be a better better person um and uh him at the very end swooping in and uh dumping that dossier to uh Raffaella's family um so that Rafi's family like will talk to her again uh you know just the bond between the two of them through this season was fantastic even though that meant yeah. we had less time with Rafi and Seven I was still interested in this pairing of Raffi and Worf. Um, it was it was fantastic as a buddy cop duo, I guess. Two things that I loved most about Worf. One, they they kept the actor happy. And one of the ways they kept him happy was strategically deploying just the right amounts of Worf. And Worf, Worf has been in more episodes of Star Trek than any Anybody other does. character right. like that. That was one piece of it. 
the other piece of it, which Joe just mentioned, was the Worfy Leaks thing at the end that just emotionally, you know, got me was was him having a full mentorship arc with somebody uh, and then just continuing in in perfect wharf tone, um, just very matter of factly describing how how he did this thing. It was no big deal, uh, but he does want to make sure that she knows that he did it, uh, yeah. which which is also very wharf. And and a wonderful uh, grace note in that scene. Uh, again, coming back to the whole family theme, which I hope we get to later. Mm-hmm. Um, Worf doesn't really mention his <laughs> houses. He doesn't mention his brother or his his son, uh, wherever Alexander has gotten to. Uh, but but there is a moment where where Rafi says, you know, thank you for this thing that you have done, and he just he says, uh, I I can't remember the exact line, but it's basically enjoy your family be be part of your family and it's it's just this little moment of you know you can see he wants someone else to have a happy ending he's maybe not having a happy ending mm. with his family but you know he can do this for her and and i thought that was a lovely just just a little grace note i love the fact that wharf is uh playing hot for teacher when it comes when he sees deanna um, yeah, mm-hmm. and and like I have know. been working on myself. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Jedzia, so, who? Right. Uh. He, he uh, you know, and and Will Riker, who? I mean, right <laughs> yeah. in front of her husband's face. He's like, hey, my destiny has prompted me to you, right? Like, he, yeah. What what I, what I like about that is that I think it maybe shows his his. I don't want to say un- emotional unintelligence, but like it's something like that where it's like I don't think Worf's really trying to woo Deanna at that point. <laughs> I think he just is incredibly fond of her and has no yeah. way to hide the fact that he's trying to impress her, that he's grown as a person. And 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 her husband's right there, and he's like, "Hello," right? Like, <laughs> I, I, and we know their history, and like, I, I think yes, I. Th- but it, I, that's why it worked for me, as it felt like it was something that re- reasonably he might have done, which yeah. is also very funny. It's a nice Jixa Wharf doesn't quite always play the right notes when it yeah. comes to emotional stuff right it's it it's different than like a a grand gesture of trying to woo her or something it's a uh i have respectfully kept my distance because you married will Riker, but the three of us may die in a few seconds so i am going to say two sentences to you i have worked on myself and i've worked on myself (laughs) and and you know i don't i don't think Riker genuinely feels threatened he's you know yeah no no they're giving each other no yeah they're needling each other throughout which is so great it's Worf and Will, our it's, favorite it, comedy duo. It is there? It turns out, <laughs> turns out they're just they're just that good together. Um, hey, themes of family. The LaForge family yeah. is in this season. Uh, Jordy, who who seems to have semi-retired to rebuilding old starships at the Fleet Museum, um, he's kit bashing, uh, indeed. And uh, and then his daughters. Uh, one of whom is the navigator on the uh, on the Titan, and one of whom works with him, I guess, at the Fleet Museum. But um, and uh, so we get to see uh, one LaForge for the whole season, and then Jordy kind of swoops in toward the end, bringing his other daughter in tow, and they get we get to have that again. I'm going to say ten hours. I, I I like I like the family themes that they do with Jordy, but Jordy literally has 
about 20 minutes and about three scenes to be a protective dad and then realize that he needs to let them be live their life. And and like, wouldn't that have been nice if that was kind of given some room to breathe and the show's uh, like, nope, let's you know move what? along. I, I kind of disagree. I, I, I am glad that they didn't belabor it because that's one of the things that this new era of Trek shows sometimes spent like wears out the welcome of of certain things you know that like you know that jordy's gonna begrudgingly accept that his daughters have their own lives but why do we need to take three episodes to do it i see that i just i think i think maybe he goes a little too strong down dad calm down i think he goes a little too strong in the one scene where he's doing that and it needs to be maybe i would have preferred to see him be more conflicted but it's great to see jordy it's great to see again in, in talking to these actors right to say jordy who was treated horribly especially when it when it came to sort of romance on the next generation right to say mm-hmm. nope we, we don't know who his wife is but like married kids and a family and man she must be a saint and and also rebuilding the enterprise d right. as a hobby <laughs> right. on the side but it's, uh, yeah. it's it's good it's the jordy we remember but he's, he's gotten a, to have his family and be happy he's and matured yeah you know jordy jordy is constantly in his space dock sized garage uh you know yeah. kit bashing Tink- things together yeah, he's under he's under under the hood and a little floating platform. i will point out though the one missed opportunity they have is he does this whole thing with his daughter uh with sydney right Who, who's like oh it's dangerous i don't want you out there and all that and like and 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 she's like oh and he's mad because i didn't follow him into engineering and all that it's like he flew the ship in season one right yeah it should have been right up there which is like dad I'm doing what you did. You right. became an engineer, but you were flying the ship first. And he, and he, then he could have been like, yeah, you're right. right. You're right. You got me. I was wearing red. I did. It was weird times. I get it. Again, like that's, I mean, for me, for me, that's, that's kind of consistent with the, uh, the perfectionist engineer personality that Jordy has where he, he forgets, like he can make he a did. ship do whatever he wants, but two young women, uh, good luck. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Totally. I, I, I totally do, agree. I do really, I do really love that they, they gave him two daughters so that he could have children who worked both of his most prominent jobs. Right. Um, <laughs> th- uh, I think, I think, sure. I think that's pretty cool. Um, I, the, the biggest thing though with Jordy is um, the thing that bugged me about season one was it, it, or the biggest thing that bugged me about season one was that it felt like it was trying to sell the idea that Data and Picard were the best of friends just because they were the most prominent lead characters in First Contact. Right. And Jordy and Data right. were, the were best, best friends. friends. Right. And them uh, it, devoting most of Jordy and Data's time to their mutual relationship. The right that, decision. That yeah. really worked for me. It yes. was absolutely yes. the right decision. Yes. And this new version of data, I love snarky, self-involved, doesn't yes. know when to stop talking, uh, and doesn't know when his therapy session is over um, <laughs> data, who they can just strategically drop into any 25th century thing they do after this. Yeah. And and it's very different than just dropping old data into stuff. We, we really got enough of that. And and I like that they leaned into something that knowing Brent a little bit is so much more attuned to Brent's personality. I was going to say now it's right. Brent Spiner. Yeah. Spiner it gets right. to be I was just about to yeah. him. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I I don't I don't think they they were trying to make Picard and Data best friends in season one. I think it was more that it was a ghost. He was haunted by yeah. the death of Data, and and he's the patriarch of this crew. And, and it makes us you know, all wonder, well, what about Jordy, right? Jordy's the yeah, one who's yeah. heartbroken by this. And that's and we why don't even this talk pays off him. so nicely. Yeah. In, in the yeah. vacuum of space surrounding season one, until we got to this point, that's how <laughs> yeah. it came off. But right. now yeah. that we finished the whole arc, now it totally works for me. 
Joe, what do you yeah. think about the uh, the data stuff? I wish there had been a few fewer scenes of them talking about the firewall between lore and data's sides <laughs> and like the visual yeah. depiction of a line going down the middle of his head mm. with a yeah. blue side and a red side. Yeah, the, it's I the mean, hot side hot and the cold it's side It's the, defragment, <laughs> the defragmentation software, right? Where it's like very slowly yeah. defragging your data brain. Um, literally yeah i mean again we're pointing out things that i think i think this is the when i say i you didn't really notice all the things where they were constrained by budget it's like well this is one of those things or because like but i agree like i i thought i could have just watched more of um data and lore in their featureless white space having a conversation (laughs) with each other like that was that was much more interesting and dramatic as data slowly hands him all of the bric-a-brac of his life um, which I enjoyed also because it's very obvious what he's doing there, right? right? Laura's like, no, no, gimme, gimme. And you're like, yeah, he's, uh, he he's, would do that. He's Superman 3 it. It's, yep. it's yeah. Clark Kent versus yeah. uh, kal Yeah. But, you know, Brent Spiner, like, I like how they did it, right? I like how they, they yeah. was like, oh, well, soon built this body and it's really all of them and they had to figure it out. And I was kind of figuring that they create like a new entity who would be like, I'm not, I'm neither data nor lore. But by the time I got to the end, I was like, oh yeah, it had to be data though, right? It's like mm-hmm. data with lore inside him, but it has to be data because we want to see data back with his, back with his people. And, and uh, Brent Spiner was able to tap into how he played lore and how he played data. I love, I mean, Moises has spent time with him. So, you know, I, I've only seen him interviewed, but I love that, that Brent Spiner seems to like, not really care for the silly sci-fi for the kids. Not really interested, not his cup of tea, but like, he's just, he loves this, like relishes being able to play these different variations on this character. And that, that, I mean, how many different Soongs and Datas has he been? Oh my gosh. And, and he does I mean, a good job. At least all yeah. of what, three Soongs? He's, he's done all of it. Like it, there, there's the notion of, oh, but you're so good at this. And it's like, yeah, I've been doing it for 30, 30 years. 30 years, yeah. Bud. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's one of those things though. And in, in hindsight, um, would have been great to not have him in season two at all. Um, yep. And then we yeah. could have just gone from our data scene that was very moving at the end of season one. And we could have had our, you know, data, you know, scenes here with Lore, et cetera, and, and Jordy. And it would have been great, too. I, I think that by having him as Soong uh, in the middle in that yeah. season two thing, it's just like we, we've just he's, he's we've overexposed ourselves to Brent Spiner yes. at this mm-hmm. point. Unnecessary for, Los it, Angeles soon did not need to. Yeah. Exist. <laughs> yeah well, <laughs> so, biology and, and in, in retrospect, it's oh, that was them breadcrumbing the fact that they were going to do a con show that is now not going to happen. And instead, Nick Myers uh, treatment for it's going to get turned into a podcast, maybe guess. or something. Yeah. Yeah. yeah oh, well. It's uh yeah, but but Brent Spiner can again these character these actors showing that uh they're getting it done. I I think um I was disappointed, but I understand now that it was a scheduling thing. Marina Sirtis did not want to. She lives in England and she did not want a long shooting schedule, so she's only in the last essentially in the last couple episodes. It's great to see her. Uh, they give her those. Uh, they give her the scene that's really the pivotal reveal scene with Ed Spilliers, uh, where she's like, we're going to open that red door that you've been looking at all season. He's like, uh, you opened it. I can't do it. Uh, and so she does. And then we get the, the very funny data therapy scene at the very end of, se- of episode 10. So, well, yeah. the, 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 the thing with Troy is again, like tactical deployment yeah. of powerful weaponry, right. where the emotional stuff with her and Riker in the jail cell 
I, you know, something that uh, here I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to let, I'm gonna let some of the, some of the slack tea out, out in, in the public, uh, uh, a certain, a certain person with the first name, David, who's on this recording right now, n- not a fan of, uh, of, of the, the strife introduced to their relationship, which, nah, uh, uh, no, don't on, put words hold, in your mouth. Hold on. I, well, I mean, you could just, you could just, you know, m- uh, make the words come out of your own mouth. That scene played beautifully. That, that was scene, not what I had a problem with. Right. I know. What I'm saying is what came okay. before that, what came before that was one of those things that I, I was alluding to earlier where it's like, there was stuff that kind of bugged me, but I was like, well, let's let it ride and see how it goes. Yeah. That that scene is what made that stuff that made me and everybody who really treasures that Riker-Troy relationship, like somebody named David, who I'm only naming his first name, so you don't know who I'm talking about. Um, it made Joe. us kind of, I don't know how I feel about that. That really got me. And... uh you know, I'm not one for always making the love conquers all thing, but love conquering all and bringing his Imzadi to the coordinates inside the Borg cube. That's the kind of stuff like that that totally does work for me. Um, I, you know, would I have loved to see more of her? Sure. Absolutely. She's she's a, a thrill and a delight and 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 everything. Um, but I, everything that was concentrated in the few bits that she did. Look, she had Tottenham Hotspur games to go to. Um, you know, <laughs> she she stays busy. Yes, priorities. Priorities. Yeah, I mean, the er, the early part of the season where it was just sort of like, oh, well, I've put a galaxy between us. And, you know, uh, I, I at the time, it felt like they were saying, you know what, we're going to ignore season one. And and just tell tell the story that came before season one between them. And. And it, I, I still don't think that first part entirely works. I think I the think dialogue it's, it's was, little... was clunky because the yes. strong implication later on is that what happened is essentially he got the call from Picard and he just left and took off and she's furious at him and he regrets not talking to her about it or saying something about it. But the way it's phrased, it's almost like he wants to, Terry Metalis wants us to hold back that information and so that we can m- miss understand their relationship and wonder if they're on the outs or separated or something. And like, it wasn't necessary and it should have been clearer. It was, it was a little awkward. And then, and yes, it did develop properly. It it worked for me by the end and, and their connection in the final episode was brilliant. And that tied right back to the first, you know, back to Farpoint. And, and Riker, Riker, um, having that long, dark night of the soul, when they thinks that the Titan is plunging into that nebula and they're all going to die. Like, I thought that was really good. I, 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 I totally get them using, this is the end, my friend for the trailer. Yeah. Yes. Because it is taken out of context and, but especially in context, it's some of the more devastating uh, line delivery that, that uh, Jonathan Frakes has done in the whole run. Yeah. Before we talk about like how it ends, uh, ship design. <laughs> oh, ship design. Let's oh, talk about ships. The <laughs> the Titan. No, they gets all fly on ships. They're cool. And no, turns no, no, into- no. Hey, wait, wait, wait. Uh, Who said anything about the Titan? I want to talk about the Enterprise F. Look at that beautiful <laughs> ship that we only got to see for about twelve seconds. The Neo Constitution class, which is yeah. just that kind wasn't of Worf's fault either. Boxy. Oh, the F. Yes, the F. Which the, the is F, just yeah. like the, Shelby the Odyssey class. It's like, oh, yeah. this has got a. You know, it's not going to work. Uh, those are like video game designs, right? Is that yeah, yeah. from Star Trek Online? Star Trek Online. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it's a, 
<clears throat> that's my taste. Um, yeah, yeah, not the, the uh, look. Oh. It's not as bad yeah. as the USS Ross. Uh, oh boy, oh, God. Um, but, but it's not the, the it's not the Battle of Command C, Command V, though. They had different yeah. ship designs in this season, so that's good. Yeah, yeah. well, they, I mean, they learned their lesson and they made a big deal about it in season two yeah. when they had all the ships that show up to the thing that the Borg come out of who are not really Borg, but we don't know that. We got to spend our... Anyway, so they, yep. they were just like, yeah, we brought in all these Star Trek online things because it was a great way to get ships fast. And it's like, mm-hmm. okay, but <laughs> there's you know standards and quality stuff and consistency between things it's a little off um but accepting that technical debt was a choice and they made that choice yeah but the Eh. the thing i'll just say is that there's some weirdness if you're somebody who pays attention to the ships in star trek which is a small but vocal minority (laughs) um you are concerned about things like why is the titan something completely different that looks old that doesn't make any sense for the thing that it was and like what happened to the other titan and they, they don't talk about it in the show and they don't need to talk about it in the show but you are watching the show at the beginning and you're just like what is supposed to be taking place does it matter that it's not the does it matter that it, and it's the answer is no of course not it doesn't matter um but but the very end when they show you the hull that says uss uh, enterprise ncc 1701g um, then it's like, oh, so this was a backdoor way of introducing yes. an Enterprise. Um, and that's why it has nothing to do with what the Titan looked like, because it needs to look like what an Enterprise would look like with mm-hmm. the nacelles on the top and the deflector and all that stuff. Um, and the literal TMP saucer section. Um, but the that whole thing, it doesn't significantly impact anything. But if you're somebody who pays attention to like the design and the art of the show and you're watching the show you're just like why is that like this and why is this like that i it, it doesn't matter but it is weird when you're watching it um and that's that's my whole thing i'll turn it over to people who don't care about starships hold on hold on what hold on hold hold on committee uh committee chairman uh because <laughs> one of your fellow committee members would like to speak uh the the, the only thing that i would add because you did a, a masterful job uh during this senate of starship design starship segment um here. yes i yeah i i i uh i i have to i have to applaud Terry Metalis's sneaky, underhanded, getting us used to it the entire season. Um, because if look, if if I got to show run this season, I would probably make some creative choices of my own that were just for me and that would bug people. Maybe one of them would not have been that Section 31 keeps all Starship Enterprise captains in, cry, oh. in cryo storage. <laughs> but that's that's another choice that got made. Mm-hmm. Um I the the thing that bugs me is that there there is an Excelsior and we saw it as a dot on a screen that got blown up and I just I want to know what the current Excelsior looks like so that I know what the ship that Elnor was on and killed on yeah. looked like. Elnor Elnor was on shore leave and he went back to his oh, home planet yeah. at that oh, time. Oh yeah, right. right. Just Vulcan. And so he's fine. <laughs> he was on an ayahuasca <laughs> like meditation retreat. Right. Yeah, yeah, he's I, he's okay. He's lucky, lucky guy. I've got a question about uh, that ship being rechristened, not the Excelsior, but the Enterprise. Um, considering who wound up in the center seat, wouldn't it have made sense? Or how would you guys have felt if that ship uh, was christened a different name, a name of a ship that also kind of looked like that? The Voyager. Hmm. It, it couldn't work because oh, it wouldn't have been thematic. This yeah. was about the family. This was about the Enterprise crew. 
you could and and I know I know you said this in the Vulcan Hello. Yep. I've seen people talk about it. Why didn't they name it the USS Picard? Because yeah, it's it's not a very it's a very French Picard. design with English accents. I, I <laughs> well, David, I I disagree with you. I think actually the stronger thematic choice, if you're not trying to set up a spinoff series, would be to name it the USS John Luke Picard because it would be that final cap, as we say goodbye to Picard, yeah. that he is he mattered to the point where he now has this ship named after him, and the ship will have the adventures. But then they're like, but no, we wanted to be the Enterprise, so we can say stay tuned for the adventures of the Enterprise. And I think if I you mean, get there's there's a USS Hikaru Sulu, but no USS James T. Kirk apparently. I, <laughs> well, I mean, there is, I, I don't know. It's it's hauling garbage uh, somewhere, yeah. right? It's the garbage scow. Uh, it's hauled away as garbage, something like that. So no, but what I'm saying is. Um, I think Voyager would have been an interesting choice too, but I think that's an alternate version of the show where instead of Tuvok, nice to see Tuvok, nice to see Ensign Roe or whatever rank Roe has now. Um, although Commander, little, Commander little, Roe. Little, little, uh, little extra cameos, extra, extra guest stars, those are all good. But like, really, you got to have Janeway and the scene with yes. Janeway, that scene yes. with Tuvok at the end. If that scene's Janeway and it's Janeway saying, Seven, you've earned this, you're, you should be the captain. Oh. Then oh, the I think you that? could get away with calling it the Voyager, but it's sure. not what the show is, so they didn't yeah. do it. Right. But I think yeah. thematically, in the last episode of Star Trek Picard, a, st- uh, a Star Trek show named for a one character that you could have <laughs> capped it all off by having it be the USS Picard, and it would have been like, ah, yes, the theme of the show. But instead, they went with, no, 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 not the point we're trying to make. And I totally think it's valid. <laughs> I also suspect yeah. the way that that scene in the shuttlecraft is shot with Beverly and Jack and Picard, that they hedged their bets. Oh, it could be either way. And that yeah. it could have been oh, either totally. one. And then they decided <laughs> but, to make it the Enterprise. But yeah. But I, I do think, I mean, if if you look at the themes across all the characters, right, every character has some family connection in this. And it also, it's about how everyone's isolated and they're doing a good job being isolated, but they're really at their best together. And even Vatic being separated from the Great Link, the Borg Queen being separated from the rest of her Borg, right? Everyone is better when they're pulled back together into their family unit. And I think, I I kind of think the ship was always going to be the Enterprise. I just, I I think it fits thematically. I mean, there's also another version of this where they didn't have to rechristen it anything. I could have just been right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. Well, and if if it's yep. if yeah. I'm the one doing this and I'm trying to set up a spinoff, I'm not going to give it uh, the ship a name that is the same name as the ship in another of our Star but, Trek but, series but that's David, currently running. But, but David, you see that? Yeah. Well, that's true. But but you see, my point yeah. here is. I think there's two ways to go with that last scene or one of the eight last scenes. Cause right. They keep, they keep going. It's like Lord of the Rings. Yes, yes. It's one, all the there, scenes. There's two, two ways to go. And one of them is I'm setting, this is a franchise and I'm setting up the future adventures directly because maybe we'll see that happen. And when you right. do that, you call it the enterprise. I will tell you just, just as a, as a human being watching Star Trek, for my entire life that scene where they're on the ship and i i suddenly realize as beverly is talking and jack is talking to jean-luc i think oh my god it's the uss picard and i started to tear up and then they reveal it's the enterprise and then the show stole your tears and then they reveal the enterprise and i'm like eh Okay. And, and and so I guess what I'm saying is if they intended that to be an emotional note of like, oh, it's a new enterprise. It's like, that's not the note I would have played. That's just, I, I'll, I'll stop. I'll stop saying it now. I, I think, I think they made a good franchise decision. I think if Star Trek Picard was yeah. a show on its own, um, sort of like not trying to set something else up, 
the other one would have been a better choice, but I understand why they did it. I completely agree with you, though. I, I completely agree that the USS Picard would have been the better beat for that moment, and it would have been the better button for that scene. But I get why they didn't do it, right? I mean, yeah. clearly, Terry, yeah. Terry Metalis, if you haven't known that Terry, Terry Metalis, the showrunner of the season, <laughs> is on Twitter, uh, somebody, I think, maybe mm. talked to him because there was a long period there where he was basically filing his job application on Twitter oh God, and yeah. his pitch for Star Trek Legacy, the show he uh, wanted to yeah. make with the, with this ship and with Seven which, and with Jack and, and all of that. that's a terrible I, title. I think, I'm I think, sorry. I think, a, lot, yes, I think a, lot of, a lot of sleep <laughs> deprivation uh, and, you know, oh, you know j- just the anticipation of knowing what was being dropped a, to all of us? A well, giant Star Trek I, I think, fan got I, excited. I get it. Yeah, like, I get. I get yeah. it. And I, I think. And I think. I, I totally understand the studio withholding green lighting and announcing something because going back to March before March, everybody in the industry has been anticipating the strike that is starting with the WGA and is going to be cascading to other guilds very soon. I promise you. Um, and I totally understand, like, it sucks for us because we hate not, you know, knowing. And, and of course, like, the timing would be perfect if literally all of Hollywood weren't in the process of shutting down production for an undetermined amount of time. And huge budget um, cuts at every, yeah. every studio and all those things. Yeah, but, yeah. but like, I, it, it's just a matter of time. Similar to Strange New Worlds, the gap between, mm-hmm. uh, you know, aggressively pitching it to paramount and uh and and finally getting the okay once all of the spreadsheets lined up the way that they, they built the it. sets boy says they built they, the sets. they they built the aggressive campaigning the the yeah I, and and so talking <laughs> about the 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 future here um i i feel i mean it's star trek it's all about the future except for season two of picard <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway uh i you know i love strange new worlds i think it's i think it's great it seems like this Starfleet Academy show is probably going to be set in the Discovery time frame, Hopefully. maybe not. But the way the the way the 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 little PR announcement put it, it seems like it really is. I feel like the 25th century, right now at the end of Star Trek Picard, still is the present day of Star Trek, and I would be really disappointed if whether it's Seven and Company on the bridge of the Enterprise or it's something you know a few years down the road and they change the cast a little and they change the premise a little, but like. I, I feel like it is the right way to go. I actually I actually wonder with Strange New Worlds if it isn't a mistake because to have named it the Enterprise because do they want two live action TV series that are right. both on the USS well, Enterprise? Well, the question is how how long is Strange New Worlds expected to run? And it could be that they are Forever. planning to run Forever. it. I know, yes, please. I know, yes, I know please. that. I know Forever. that. Yeah, like All each time. season should should take up one month of time on board Pike's <laughs> Enterprise. I love oh, it too. It's only ten episodes. I love it too. You know, um, ten episodes a season. I, I think old Star Trek was like twenty well, episodes. Here's the th- here's the thing: is we're talking about different vibes, man. Let's talk about vibes I, for a second. I, yeah. All right. Cool. Like different different vibes. Like Strange New Worlds is a looser, goofier '60s TOS year show. Oh, and, I agree. And and I think that both can coexist. Like mm-hmm. I love the oh, idea totally. of two different shows that have USS Enterprises on them running at the same time. um, Yeah, I could make the argument that that's the value proposition of Star Trek and that if you get back to like, what is Star Trek? It's about people on a ship called Enterprise. I'm okay with that, honestly. Oh, totally. Yeah, like here's your Dutch chocolate right alongside milk chocolate. They're both chocolate. (laughs) Love them both. Sure. Why does the Dutch chocolate have an English accent? (laughs) Great question. (laughs) Genetics. Yeah, I went went to school in England. Yeah. 
Yeah. What does God need with an English Genetically <laughs> English. Uh, yeah, I, I just, I feel like this is the, you know, right? And it allows you to have, I, Star Trek Legacy as a name, yeah, not great. I actually don't mm-hmm. like the idea of building a show around a whole bunch of characters who are directly connected to previous Star Trek characters. I, I like, mm-hmm. but but yeah. I don't think in the end any show that was really that would be that, just like how Strange New Worlds has some existing legacy characters, but also has a whole bunch of new characters. And some of the legacy characters were so un- uh, you know, unconnected or or unfilled in that you can make them what you want them to be. I I just I would like it. I, I like the idea that you set it in the essentially present day uh, of Star Trek, allowing you to pull characters from Next Generation and Deep Space Nine and Voyager, and and I don't know Lower Decks and and just <laughs> and yet not have to deal with the weight of like well we can't really see the Romulans because of TOS, right? Like all that prequel stuff. Strange New Worlds has to deal with that. That's fine. But like, it would be kind of nice to be able to weave in a, oh, Data shows up in this episode. And hey, Kira, Doris is here. And there's what's going on in Bajor. And like, have it be inhabiting the world that we remember from the 90s, 30 years on. I think that there's super richness there. Yeah. So much. I mean, you know, the, the Starfleet Academy show, perspectively being set in the 31st century, this being in the 25th. Um, the, here, here is another piece of the, uh, it, it doesn't rehabilitate everything that people might dislike about seasons one and two of Picard. But a thing that I like is that they just left a bunch of things dangling for a future ongoing show to touch on. What is the deal with the Romulans? What is the deal with this new Borg collective? Yeah, sure. Which, I mean, the concept of the Borg is interesting, but the iteration of the Borg that we knew throughout the TNG through Voyager era, well, thankfully we have now killed it three times and it is all the way dead now. Is it? And so we can mm-hmm. look at the general concept of the Borg from a different lens if we want to do that at some point. Agnes's um, but, touchy-feely Federation yeah. Borg. Sure, why not? Hey, hey, we're Borg hippies. Hi. And we can and we can and like what, what what's Elnor up to playing golf on Vulcan, yeah. right? We're, right? we're just like, we're just picking up stray refugees in our in our cool Borg space van. Hey guys. Well, and and you could totally do a a, a Borg story going forward where someone, you know, with with Agnes's group of the Borg, what if someone jacks into them and tries to reprogram them to be bad again sure there's there's more you can do not getting into the specific possibilities you know like that but we can talk about the possibilities (laughs) we can talk about what they did decide terry mentalis very purposefully didn't dangle some threads he very purposefully set in stone a couple of things that he says are you know that he wants to have go forwards in his pitch here for Star Trek Legacy that happens at the end of this episode, um, where we are committed to having Jack Crusher on the show. So good luck if you ever have any contract negotiation issues with him because you can't kill Picard's son on the show. Um, and then you've got Jerry Ryan, um, who is fantastic and she can definitely carry it as a lead. And Rafi, um, and it's just like, okay, well, you've committed these three people to be on this thing. Like I'm sure the rest of the bridge crew, you, you could rotate out easy peasy. Um, but and Sydney LaForge, Sydney LaForge. And you, uh, also committed in the mid credit scene to the undeath of Q, um, where he oh, is you're thinking so linearly. Yeah. This could be before he's <laughs> before he goes back in season two and does that. He, this is earlier in his life, but later in time, it doesn't matter. Just like, did we need to commit to that story 
happening already at the end credits of this? No. <laughs> yeah. Then no. That's, I, so that's, so Jack, that's Jack, why, Jack Crusher. That's what rubs that, me the wrong what, way is because I feel that yeah, is Terry yes. Metalis's resume it, being laid it, out it, in front it, of it, us. It, it's No, it's not even <laughs> Terry Metalis's resume. It's like, uh, look, I know that Alex Kurtzman runs this sub studio within the studio, but I really run this studio. Uh, well, and these are the these are the flags that I'm planting. And I am sure I as, as in stone, Joe, as you say that they are. Uh, Terry Metalis doesn't run Star Trek. Yeah. He ran this season of this Star Trek show. You, you might. And right. There's a 25th century Star Trek show that'll start in 2026 that Terry Metalis isn't involved with. And it'll be set on the Enterprise F but it will, and it, but it won't have all these characters on it. And they'll just say, oh, you know, Jack Crusher's off at whatever. And <laughs> Jack, Jack Crusher uh, went into a different traveler like they, space van, like right. Will, uh, like, uh, like, uh, like uh, um, uh, Wesley Crusher did. Yeah, that's right. He's on vacation with his brother, Wesley. He'll be back in a thousand years. <laughs> you can, you can totally get rid of him. You can just have it, you know, oh, Seven is still the captain. Oh, Raffi might still be there. That's fine. Yeah. Uh, and everyone else is new. And yep. it's fine. Yeah. It's so, fine. so I, I think at, they, at, the, at the same time, too. at the same time, those four characters um, being carried over along, like I would, I would like to see uh, Mira. I would like to see uh, Esmar, uh, yeah. the the bridge crew folks who got more to do than various Discovery bridge crew uh, got <laughs> yeah. got to do in four seasons of that show. It does feel um, a little like that end totally of season work. two of Discovery, though, where it's sort of like you have that moment where you're like, well, wait a second, what show am I watching here? Right. Because like season two of Discovery, which ends with the Enterprise crew, right? It's literally stay tuned for Strange New Worlds. Oh, also Discovery will be back. Uh, this this is a little <laughs> like that. At least there are there are more scenes after that, right? Like we get the poker game. We get yeah. Picard at the well, bar. It's too bad Whoopi Goldberg's not in that scene, by the way. Really kind of, they, they, I'm glad they name check her, but they're like, Guidance no, looking no, at she, she is. She's just off screen. She's right. just off screen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. She was She was there. Yeah. They should have shown her. She turned oh, the camera you, you, around. You, you, just, you just missed her, everybody. She was doing it. was actually, it was actually Brent Spiner going around behind the camera and but, coming around the other side. And then saying that he's Whoopi Goldberg. Sure. Yeah. It's, yeah. I'm just saying, you know, it, it's a little like that. But again, Star Trek is a franchise. Uh, sending the message that the legacy lives on, right? Regardless of whether there's a TV show of it, that that there's always another enterprise out there having adventures. I love the Q mid-credit sequence, not because it's priming the pump for the adventures of Q uh, and Jack Crusher, but because it's a middle figure to Akiva Goldsman. <laughs> no, no, but because that's how episode um, one, you know, encounter uh, a par- far point. Right. That's what that is all about and then it gets yeah, okay. it gets buttoned up by the last episode uh all good things and so here it really i think is almost just saying the adventure the human adventure is just beginning right like mm-hmm. it goes on and on and it's infinite and star trek continues as well and there's another enterprise with another person and just like the father and the son they'll be continue to be tested by adventures out there so i just read it as as it's that simple right which is like you know, again, they're going to have adventures. And by the way, it's ending like it began with Q. And I I don't want to read too much more into it than that. I think it's just a very nice kind of like, hey, we're bringing it all the way back around the end. See, I it, it bugged me only because I kind of just wanted the poker game to be the final scene. I wanted I wanted us to end on that because it was such a lovely moment. And, and I mean, it, and, and, it does, right? It yeah, does. But, but, but then, what, and yeah. as much as I 
try to ignore the existence of season two. Uh, and as much as they didn't earn any of the emotion that they got out of me for it, the scene at the end where Picard and Q hug, where it's yeah. like, you're done. I, I'm, I'm done with you. And, and it's, it's a lovely scene and they play it beautifully, even though nothing justifies it. True. Uh, and, but that would have been a lovely moment to end with Q. Well, you know, I, David, yeah. I say the same thing right. in season one with, uh, Picard and Data, right? That death scene was a beautiful one. Um, and we've, we all kind of felt like that was the right way to, uh, to right the wrongs of Nemesis with the, yeah. and, and we got that. And, and I think we all felt really good, you know, irrespective of how we felt about season one of Picard as a whole, I think collectively uh, fans were all like, you know, they did right by data. Um, yeah. And then we kind of undid the right that we did by data by going into season two or, and having or, more Brent Spiner. Or read, yeah, and then redid yeah. See, redid it in season three. Right. But I think this is why but I know season three tells a different story with Dave. Yes. Yeah, I know that. Whereas this is just the same story with Q. I know that um, Moises said that sort of like the the idea all along was that in season three they were going to bring them back. But I I feel like season one of Picard is written that they're not going to bring them all back, right. <laughs> or that um, they'll bring them all back gradually across three seasons but not all together at once at the end mm -hmm. and that that data goodbye is a real goodbye and then what it feels to me is that when you're breaking season three you say well if we're going to bring everybody back we got to bring data back and they're like but we killed yeah. data it's like yeah <laughs> there was a backup right. yeah and they and they and they did it again and like <laughs> I, I think they handled it artfully but it also was sort of like i know that i know that that was a beautiful death scene but we got to have him back okay and and I got to say, they, they bring him back more plausibly than they brought back Spock. I'll let them, I'll let the, cause, cause they will be asked about this and they'll answer it in public, uh, as to what the secret plan was. But my understanding is that there's a reason why the entire TNG cast wasn't doing conventions for a little while. Hmm. That overlapped with, you know, uh, before they announced that they were all coming back for season three. I think part of the carrot that they gave Brent Spiner um, doing as much uh, data and soon lifting as he did was that they were going to transform data in the third season. Um, and it might have been, hey, we're going to give you two years of recurring work and then we will do this thing. And, you know, it was kind of sold as a package to this is how we're going to do it. And then they all signed their NDAs and they all shut up and they all there you go. didn't go and make a bunch of convention money for a couple of years. And then big happy family reunion. Yeah. I, 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 I just, would be shocked. Because it was basically pitched as a three season I think, yeah. series. I, I, yeah. I'm, not sure, I'm not sure the writing of season one feels like it was headed in that direction. Right. Season two and three obviously were. So maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe they just didn't tell Michael Chabon. I, I think they changed because because originally it was supposed to be that, you know, Shaban had this concept and Akiva had a separate concept and they merged them. Mm. And then that's where they came up with this three season arc. Yeah. But then as Shaban left and Akiva took over and it started whatever he it wanted. started leaning to to one side of that fragmented yeah, data brain yeah, yeah, that was yeah. not the side of the data brain that people really wanted. 
And nope. <laughs> I, 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 what are you I, talking about? I, nobody said, wants anything more in Star Trek than a prison bus chase on a freeway <laughs> right. in LA. Yeah, yes. Okay. Uh, and, that's, and, yeah. In the 20, in the 21st century. In the 21st century. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Season two, season two is the place where they just put all of the sins. Here's, here's Patrick Stewart's wife singing in a club for no reason. Oh, we don't need to go to the club for any reason, No, but you know, there it is. Uh, gee, oh. by chance, I wonder how that happened. I, I've said Alex oh. Kurtzman's name uh, before, but I want to say it here again. Alex Kurtzman deserves credit for season three landing as well as it did and dealing with all of the Michigas that was happening. Uh, some of the we know some that is speculated about yeah. between seasons one and two. There's also um, a COVID mess here, right? Because of uh-huh. COVID changing yeah. everything. Multiple what, shuts, what, shutdowns. What they did is they had to... They had to peel off Terry Metalis from season two. He had to break season three and and put the, it together, and they shot them back to back. So as different as season two and season three feel, they shot them almost one right after the other. And, and so that, you know, because of COVID, and then... I, yeah, there's like again, I, uh, my, the work stands my, alone, but I yeah. understand there's a lot of issues going on in this show. I, t- I totally, I totally get that. The, like the vibe of season, like going to season two, it's like we're going to do two and three back to back. We know three is going to be this. What can we shoot on locations in L.A. Yes. modern day? Mm. That's when you feel the the, the budget. Hey guys, we're hey hey guys, we're spending all the money on season three. Don't, what can we do for uh, two bucks and a pair of shoes? Also, I, I didn't mention in terms of the budget for this season. Don't forget the fact that we have a holodeck, amazing thing that will take you anywhere in the world. But really, it's only a bar, right? Uh, it's only no, ever a bar because yeah. we built no, no, that no. set for season two. Yeah, and we're the, gonna use the, it. The uh, the AR wall holodeck uh, that's in Toronto. And yeah, we're not going there. Discovery Discovery and Strange New Worlds uh, runs that, and uh, we're not going to shoot there because yeah, Patrick uh, lives in LA. Yeah, yeah. But they Six, built the seven. set. We're looking forward to the Ten Forward series. Yeah. It's going to be like <laughs> Cheers, where they all just drop that's in. Right. Mourn. And... Uh, what? Anything? Any last words that anybody has about Star Trek Picard? Again, uh, to take us back to the beginning, really loved it emotionally. Some of the plot worked great. Has have some quibbles, sagged a little bit in the middle, as so many of these shows do. But you know, in the end, happy feelings for me. Any final words from from all of you? I I loved. I mean, I've said this many times. When something surprises me, that's always a good sign. And there were a lot of things in this that I was guessing. There were a couple of things I guessed wrong, but there were a couple of things I guessed right. Uh, I never thought they were going to rebuild the Enterprise D. Amazing. That right? was beautiful. And the reveal and everything about that was perfect. Um, so so again, emotionally, that worked for me. One guy kit bashing it from a bunch of Galaxy class starships. Uh, all right, I'll go with it. Yeah. Sure. Why not? Um, the other thing, I, I won't even go into it in detail, but it, the one thing that I thought about as as I thought over the whole season afterwards there's also a lot of little connections to Odysseus and the Odyssey. And I, you know, I've joked about it for years that Star Trek is our version of the Odyssey, right? Hundreds of years from now, everyone will think Gene Roddenberry was the Homer who wrote, wrote the whole thing. I don't know. Yeah. Season, but, season two, uh, the sailors all went to LA and the show turned them into pigs. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you have uh, Picard with this 20 year gap between seeing the mother of his his child and this son that doesn't want him, this son that that fights against him, right? You have 
the wily mother who uh, suddenly has all this talent and ability that, you know, they're all like, oh, you, you can shoot phasers. Wow. Um, oh, man, if Vatic had an eye patch, she could have been the Cyclops, David. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm seriously. And, you know, you have the siren song of the Borg. You have the uh, the euphoria and the, the wanting to just stay in this wonderful paradise of being in the Borg collective. And, you know, there are a lot of weird, interesting little parallels to that story. And I, I wonder how intentional it was. But, you know, the fact that there's a 20-year gap, because it hasn't been 20 years since Next Generation went off the air, so why did they pick 20 years? Okay, interesting. Yeah. But, you know, it's just, it's fascinating. Go look it up. I, I don't think I'm right. crazy. They, 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 wrote the, they wrote the epics, says David. Uh, Cicero, any, any uh, last thoughts from you? I, I, I love this. I love the series because of what it did, especially at the end. I have a lot of problems with uh, the narrative that they, that they chose this particular season though. I felt like it seemed like for eight episodes, we were going to get a, a season eight of not only TNG, um, but also DS9 and also Voyager. We were going to get this, like, this kind of bookend for all of the Berman shows. Um, it, with, you know, with this introduction with, you know, with Tuvok and, and, and Seven from Voyager and, and, um, Worf and the Changelings and, you know, mention of Odo. And, and what was going on from DS9. And of course, obviously the TNG crew, of course, with Worf, um, and all of that stuff was coming together. And then, then they just threw it all away, um, with, with like, you know, an episode and a half to go. And it kind of, it kind of left me really frustrated. But when it's all said and done, like I, you know, like I said, I, I think emotionally, as I get further away from it, I'm going to feel really, really good about, all of, you know, all of my friends getting together one last time and me getting a chance to really say goodbye to them in a way that that right. that feels great. Um, the one person that I wish I could have gotten a chance to say goodbye to is Chief O'Brien. Um, yeah. You know, you know we call him. And Col man, they got yeah. they got to bring him yeah, back. Yeah, Meany is, he's, is, yeah. He's the most important man in the universe. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so, yep. yeah, I wish he was there. Cicero, I, I sort of alluded to this when I said, you know, they they brought in the changelings and nodded to Deep Space Nine, and then said, "Oh, but it doesn't matter." Right. <laughs> and and I did feel like that a little bit. I think when when um they were talking about how this was the movie to give the TNG crew their final send off, I thought, okay, it's not going to be that thing that also kind of like gives us some closure on Deep Space Nine and Voyager because they're really going to focus. And they did. I think they had room to do some of that, and in those couple of episodes that sort of seemed unnecessary and it's too bad that they didn't do more of that. Uh, cause I would have liked that. There's a, you know, with Tuvok and seven, there's a little of that, but deep, poor deep space nine. Oh, I, on, on, on the counterpoint to that, I kind of like that they made it so that the, the deep space nine characters who could come back, Avery Brooks is completely retired. Yeah. Rene Aubergenois and Aaron Eisenberg have passed sadly. Mm -hmm. Um, I like that them coming back into the Star Trek world means that they don't have to rehash the changelings uh, and, and the Dominion true. War forefront yeah. 
Um, like I like I like that the TNG crew, you know, took one for Voyager characters not having to do the Borg stuff, though. Uh, Metallus has said that there was intent to try to bring in some more people, but there's only so many uh, people and budget and time yeah, that you can totally. use to do stuff. And I think it would have been a disservice to bring in more than who they did bring in. You have any final feelings and thoughts? Moises? Um, yeah, I so uh, Ed Spilliers as a 30 year old teenager jack crusher um here's he's from here's, 90210. here's how like as yeah. as a as a stage actor as a Shakespearean, paper, yeah um there's a reason that you don't have a 19 year old play hamlet and it's almost yeah. somebody older than that um as many jokes as we cracked about it i i think one of the things that could have absolutely doomed this is the wrong casting of Jack Crusher. And yeah. I think they got it absolutely perfectly I, right. I think that's why yes. they cast a 30-year-old as a 22-year-old yeah. is is because he was the guy, right? And he gives a good yeah. performance, right? I think I think you don't have a script like this with that character in it and cast mm -hmm. a 32-year-old guy or whatever he is unless yeah. he was clearly the best performer yeah. you could get you, to the part. You, you, you cast a guy who... Uh, who was tipped for megastardom on the back of starring in a, a youth fantasy novel adaptation, Aragon, that bombed mm. incredibly <laughs> and and had to make his way back, you know, playing a footman on Downton Abbey and, you know, trotting the boards and being a journeyman actor. Yes. Um, and, being, and being a really, really, really bad villain on Outlander, by the way. I'm. Uh, I am, I, I feel that the way that they stuck the landing, you know, quibbles aside with season three of Picard is a testament to how well Alex Kurtzman is running something that really could have been a disaster. And I don't mean just one Star Trek show. I mean, all of the Star all Trek it, shows, yeah. as many reservations as people may have with Discovery, with, you know, uh, the Section 31 series that is now going to be a movie, all that kind of stuff. Um, I, I think it is, uh, it is, um, it is incredible um meta mega show running uh from alex kurtzman that did the the political uh you know onset diplomacy and behind the scenes diplomacy that that uh smoothed out rough edges that could be smoothed out and accepted the losses that could be uh that could be lost um and i am very excited about where phase two of all this stuff goes um because there are lessons learned, there is loads of data as to what the audience is there for, and everything has been successful enough that that I feel like them having a foot in Toronto and a foot in L.A., um, the footprint of Star Trek, I'm glad that they're not desperately trying to make sure that every single week there is new Star Trek, like a now former CBS boss was demanding. Yeah. And they're giving us as much Star Trek is as is sustainable. Um, and, and I think the the current balance that we are now ending with the wrapping of Picard and the soon wrapping of Discovery was we had Discovery, Picard, Strange New Worlds, Lower Decks and Prodigy all on the air simultaneously. Yep. And maybe one of them is not your favorite everybody has multiple Star Trek shows yeah. that are really to good choose, to choose from. Exactly. And, and what is amazing to me about Kurtzman and I, I've, I haven't really talked about how amazing a job he does uh, because it's, it's 99% invisible, right? We don't think of him as running any of these shows, but he runs all of them. They're all distinct. 
right? I mean, Voyager always felt like kind of uh, TNG next generation seasons, lost in space. Yeah, seasons eight right? through fourteen. You know, yeah. and and all of these shows, yeah, they're all in the Star Trek universe. Yes, yeah, several of them are on ships exploring, but they are all very distinct storylines, and they're all very distinct styles, and 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 yet they all feel like Trek. Yep, and that is kind of amazing to me. Pretty good, Joe. Any uh, final thoughts from you about all this? I mean, I, I'm so happy emotionally with where the show ended up. I was really fretful about it. I'm glad that we knew going into this, this would be the final Picard season. Like they weren't going to like tease out another one or something. And so it's just like, okay, so this is, this is the set. We have the whole thing and they had a good ending. I don't need to worry about them screwing it up now. Um, I feel good about where all of them have wound up, even if we don't see them again, even if we don't check in with them again, I hopefully, hopefully we do. But um, I, nothing about it is a disaster um, that is, you know, uh, it would be a huge red flag. Yeah. The hard well, part for Nemesis me. Nemesis wasn't so bad after all. <laughs> <laughs> any Trek movie you can walk away from. Um, but the, uh, the hard part, I think, is if I want to try to convince someone who is not currently immersed in the current wave of star trek to watch this if someone's like oh yeah i'm interested in picard people are talking about it and they haven't watched anything since tng in the 90s um and it's just like well what you you can't say start with season one and watch through that and then watch season two skip some episodes no no, are are you getting at like which what is the mandalorian of star trek right now no, I'm just saying, like, I, I, I wish it had been a complete package that I could just be like, here, I just recommend the whole thing. In, oh, in, okay, got it. Instead, I'm just like, well, this is satisfying to me. I have a, I have an ending that I like. I don't know if it appeals to everyone um, who used to, like, watch uh, Star Trek The Next Generation and is not currently immersed in any Star Trek. But I, I appreciate that it exists for, for, for me and others. <laughs> yeah, um, so that's good. Everybody else just go watch Strange New Worlds and you'll be happy, but. If you have, I think if you have any nostalgia for TNG, you should watch season three of Picard and you'll be happy. And I, I don't so. think, I mean, I don't think you'll need, I mean, given that they got rid of everybody but Rafi, right. like. Yeah, but there's the stuff of like, oh, how do you explain that Picard has a android uh, golem body? Yeah, but you know, nobody like, talks and, about that. Yeah. Like, Vatic talks about it. It comes for up like, a couple yeah, times. Yeah, that's but, it. Mm-hmm. Who cares? Like, it doesn't play out now. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Doesn't don't worry about do it. anything in there. <laughs> no. I mean, they they accept the plot that happened in season one, and I like I said, you can totally ignore season two. There is nothing of season yeah, I, two in this. One 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 last thing, uh, Mr. Snell, Mr. Snell. Um, oh yes, yes I, you over there. I mentioned, I, I mentioned this to you privately. I, I I really feel like we need to, you know, we need to get the writers' room together. I feel like we need to pitch uh, what shows Star Trek should make from here. Oh yes, please. All right, well. Perhaps in another episode of The Incomparable, we'll do just that. Maybe. But for okay. this episode, I'd just like to thank my panelists for being here. David J. Lore, thank you. It it has been an honor serving with you all, and I and I finally see what is most important, the carpet. <laughs> Cicero Holmes, thank you. Uh, thank you. I've never been so happy to see so many wrinkles. My <laughs> <laughs> says Chuyan, thank you. There is a tide in the affairs of men which, taken at the flood, leads on to fortune, omitted. All the voyage of their life is bound in shallows and miseries. On such a full sea are we now afloat, and we must take the current when it serves. 
or lose our ventures. Do you even hear yourself? Yeah, it sounds like Shakespeare. Sounds awesome. That's what yeah, it sounds like. And Joe Rosenstiel, thank you. Thank you, and I'll see you all on the beaches of Cavar uh, Prime or Orlando. <laughs> <laughs> or Orlando wow. standing in for Cavar Prime. Wow, wow. Uh, yeah, underrated mm. line. Uh, and thanks, everybody out there, for listening to this episode of The Incomparable. We will see you next time.